Now entering Nerdist.com. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. I'm also a television writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, uh, DreamWorks, Puss in Boots, and currently FX's new series, Cassius and Clay. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, and let me know who you'd like to see on this show. I'm always looking for new ideas. For guests, and you can always find out about live Nerdist Writers panels, go to writerspanel.tumblr.com. As ever, if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes, and thanks for listening. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. How was your trip, Ben? It's okay. I'm on, like, the third month of the... But oh it's weird. I've never done it because the writers you don't normally bring out into daylight on movies. They're kind of kept in <laughs> a room. True. They're that kept true. in a room for some reason because I'm a chick. So like, get the chicks out. So it's been really, is that really what really you think different. it is? Because of the movie and because of yeah, I you. think I think it, uh, because of me. No, oh. I think it's a combo of um, yeah. I think it's a combination of uh, that it's a female-led mm-hmm. project and that Sarah and I have worked on it for such a long time together. Mm-hmm. That we shamed them into letting me come. No, um, but I think it is a, com- a little bit of that. I think it is a sort of element of, but yeah, like no other film I've worked on. It's really strange because I bet you know often I I might do like the premiere in a couple of days of press. Right, but that's it. But this is like full on. Huh. Well, it is. Are we rolling? This I might keep that in. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is. It's being sort of put forward as a film with something to say. It is a film with something mm. to say, but it feels like the marketing is very issues first. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's re- I mean, I, I guess, you know, someone said to me, oh, you know, did you write this as a feminist movie? And I keep seeing that quote everywhere. And I'm like, as if I went, no, you know, I didn't write... <laughs> you know, but ultimately, I, I think as a dramatist, you kind of go, I want to write a really compelling story. And when mm. I read the research, I just thought, you know, this is so kick-ass. You know, these women blow up buildings and they slash paintings and they, you know, cut telegraph wires and they, um, you know, stage riots. And, you know, when we were selling it, we were like, we were, we were throwing all of that at it and saying, yeah. you know, and, it's, it's, and it, you know, there's going to be carriage chases and there'll even be nudity in the laundries. I mean, we were doing everything um, to just sort of get people excited about the film. And, um, and so I always write something because I'm genuinely interested in storytelling sure. and that's what excites me. And, and out of that, I think because it took time to be made, because we're in this incredible digital age where we're so globally connected, you know, you can download on YouTube everything from, you know, some poor woman being stoned to death in the Middle East to, you know, protests about gang rape in India through to, mm-hmm. you know, girls, schoolgirls being kidnapped in Nigeria. And so you can't avoid the fact that we're kind of, that, you know, there are issues that are worth fighting for and certainly gender equality and human rights abuses against women are the one. And so I think when we started to look at the movie and really start to, you know, work on the movie, I think... There were so many contemporary issues that resonated that you can't not sell it as an issue-led film sure. because, you know, it is about the first kind of foot soldiers who went out there and and fought against the patriarch. And mm-hmm. that, but but it was always about telling a compelling story. And for me, it was about the characters of these women. You right. Know, well, felt- that, and that's the thing I'm I'm really 
curious about, and by the way, this is we're talking about suffragette. Uh, this is Abby Morgan. Thank you for being here. No, nice to be. Um, I've never been to it. I've never had an interview in a comic shop, which is like my idea of heaven. It won't be the last. No, I, I'm hoping this is the start. I, I think I could have a weekly slot here. Actually, I think I can see really like my life. Pick up an issue. Read what's going on. Oh, what's Superman up to? What does Abby think of it? Yeah, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but what I was curious about, and you know, as much as the marketing is issues mm. for it, and as much as the themes resonate. Mm. When you're sitting down to write it, and I know you spent a long time mm. on this film, you how you can't be thinking of these things, can you? No, I mean, you know, one of my first projects was about uh, was really looking at um, the murder of a young boy from the perspective of four different people, and that came out of re- meeting a woman whose son had been murdered and realizing that as we were talking, we started to, you know, she was several years on, this woman looked incredibly together. She was a really great woman, really strong. And someone made a really rubbish joke and we all laughed. But she laughed like one beat too long. And I thought, there's madness there. And suddenly, you know, that was interesting to me. That's the kind of dog whistle of like, what would happen if, you know, the worst things ha- happens to you? you How do you survive that? And I think that kind of key um, detective in me, the desire to find the kind of, the, something that would universally resonate is what I held on to. So I've done, you know, I've done pieces about the aftermath of the Thai tsunami. I've done pieces about sex trafficking, you know, and 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 uh, abuses within the UN of women. Um, I've done, you know, I've done pieces about um, Islamic fundamentalism in in the UK. Mm-hmm. I've done pieces about, you know. Um, the, the Bangladeshi community and Brick Lane and arranged marriages. So, and I don't sit there going, I want to take on an issue. I, it's because they're genuinely compelling and interesting stories. So, well, and that's interesting to me because at a certain point, you are taking on issues, yeah. right? Like you're, yeah. So, what comes first? Because there's drama around issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there are often issues create great character. They're, you know, they're basically <clears throat> what we're talking about is conflict. And I, and you know, as a dramatist, mm. you're always going to go into conflict and and be excited by it. And often there are an amazing characters around conflict. And you know, when I when I wrote, um, I think what was great with Suffragette is that when I started to read the testimonials of these working women, because I was resistant at first. I had the kind of sister suffragette, you know, kind of Mary Poppins, you know, kind of <laughs> women in corsets and big wide brimmed hats idea. And I just well, I thought, oh God, Snoresville, I don't want to do that. And I just done a period drama, and I was mm. a bit resistant. And then I read these testimonials of these women and I realized that we, you know, history is created and the images that we see often are created in terms of photographic images. And suddenly I was looking at surveillance photos of working class women taken by the police at the time and realizing these were like no photos I'd seen before. Mm. These were like slices of London where no one was looking. And suddenly you realize the women, their shirts were unbuttoned. You know, they were smoking cigarettes in the street. They were fighting. They were arguing. They were laughing their heads off. And it felt natural. It felt contemporary. And then I looked at the issues they were dealing with which were you know sexual violence in the work at home and equality of pay and you know gender parity in every level of 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 working class women's life you know property rights education rights they just chimed and chimed and chimed Mm. but ultimately it was the voices of these women and who you realize were really voiceless and yet and had sort of nothing to lose and yet everything to lose you know they weren't they weren't like the middle-class women who, you know, if they were incarcerated, um, they weren't necessarily reliant on employment, you know, and they had their own private income. These women, if they were incarcerated, lost their jobs, mm-hmm. lost their houses, lost lost their kids, you know. And so, again, it was like, it was intriguing t- to look at that world and then just look how brave they were. They were like, they were like superheroes of their time, you know. They were going against the grain, you know, they were 
having their photographs taken and put in the newspapers. They were, you know, the the police records at the time were extraordinary. It's like Mm -hmm. they were declassified in 2003. So it was only in 2003 we went, wow, this is police surveillance. So, and again, yeah, you're right. You know, I am... I am so there is a social conscience there because I think this is 21st century issues you know we're mm-hmm. all aware of but ultimately you know I will always want to tell the great story mm-hmm. and it's always about going to the great story for me well I guess that's sort of the the extension of that previous question is you know you are attracted to a story you're attracted to the characters but why why film? Why is film the medium to tell these stories for? Well, you know, I write television as well and I write theatre. Sure. So, you know, and often the thing I love about film is that you do hold an audience for 120 minutes mm-hmm. and you don't, you know, you, you, at best, you know, you hold them hostage in a cinema, which is the collective experience, and or you hold them hostage in front of their laptop. You know, the thing about TV I love is it's quietly intimate and it's quietly political mm-hmm. because everybody has a screen now. Um, and it's that's you know I often TV I go to because it's episodic you know I think that's why so many of the great kind of comic books are starting to translate so well into TV because you can tell long stories in the same way almost like in a Charles Dickens way in a sort of serial Mm -hmm. way Um, whereas the the reason why I thought you know suffragettes would be although there's a great story there episodically and you could do an amazing TV show say on the Pankhursts which Mm -hmm. they did in the early 80s Actually, I wanted to tell this very intense sixteen-month period, and so that felt right for film. Sure. And and I guess we also wanted to say, you know, there, we've often watched those beautiful period dramas where it's incredibly impressive, and you're looking at the wide landscape and going, "That's beautiful," but it's a removed. Mm-hmm. And I think we wanted to kind of throw people in the centre of that. And I wonder if you could help hold an, an audience, maybe within television, in the same way as you can in film for that particular. Mm-hmm length of time and that intensity so so that's why i went to film but you're also you know you're dealing with as we say a confluence of issues and a whole tapestry of characters you know is there a novel in you you know someone keeps saying that i mean i really love writing outlines and proposals you know i just i just (laughs) delivered a a new proposal for a movie i'm doing and i love that period and and i sort of gave it to my agent and she came out and said you know i think we should think about novel writing the truth is you know i'm a bit like one of those people i'll have a glass of wine get a bit pissed and go yeah i think i could write a novel or i might direct one day and then i sober up and the next day i go you know i love the thing i love about screenwriting is i love how how few words you have to put on the page to do a lot and the thing about novel writing is you know you're counting those i do page counts Mm -hmm. and um you know 10 pages i mean i write very fast you know and everybody you know some people do five pages some people do 30 and i tend to do between about 25 pages a day uh, because there aren't that many words on the page and so a lot of the time it's it's a lot of white well it's about stripping out it's what you leave out whereas the the great novel the great prose writing is kind of creating this massive world Mm and you know seeing beyond the end of the scene and and so um you know if if i didn't have kind of you know my attention i've got a huge attention deficit now you know i know a lot about you know i I know you know a very a lot of different things but Mm -hmm. i know them very little and i think we don't delve in deeply and i've always felt like the novel is the delving in deep mm-hmm. and so to cut out that kind of time and mental space in my life where i do that i think i'll leave that to the great you but know? you also and I, I do know this about you uh having listened to other interviews is you rewrite a lot yeah uh so you know you may be churning out pages very quickly but you're also doing that over a lot of time and yeah. writing those pages yeah because i mean I, I you know part of writing is being humiliated i know it sounds because it's all of writing it's all of writing me? yeah and so and i and you know i i think I think it's probably a mark of... I've been really fortunate with the collaborations I've made, and part of the reason why those collaborations are so important to me is I show them my shit. 
Can I say that word on podcast? That ship has sailed now. I'm such a Brit. Can I say <laughs> shit? Um, you know, I show, and and that's part of it is that you know, I, it's about exposing yourself, and it's about mm-hmm. going. I know it's completely chronic but that last scene works doesn't it and actually i work back from that last scene so and so i layer and i and i and i i guess for me film and television is incredibly collaborative for that very reason because i bring people in on it and so and so what it does mean is when you have finally got the you know the 98th script everybody's really committed to it because they've been in on every conversation (laughs) oh absolutely and so you've often got a producer who's really behind it and knows all the different and so you've you by the end that's i think what why my my scripts end up feeling very lean Mm -hmm. because i've had so many conversations with the director and the producer you don't need to keep going just just right. in case you forget, I really need this character to be A, B, C, D, and E. And if you could have this set there, mm-hmm. which is sort of what people do often with their stage yeah. directions. You have to kind of dummy-proof it. You have to dummy-proof it. And I don't have to dummy-proof sure. by the end because I've I've just shown them. But it does take, you know, it does... It, I mean, I, I was going to say, because I'm on the front line of screenwriting, but it does take a kind of nerve to go to be embarrassed, you know, and I am mm-hmm. regularly embarrassed. Well, and I remember you saying, you, at least on this film, you sent out an early draft, mm. right? Uh, mm. to collaborators and, mm. and to others. Yeah. That's, I, that's risky. Well, I, I, I press send and I never read, read back. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. So I'll, you know, I'll do spell check through and I'll get someone to read just on an editorial level. Right. And then I'll press send. So I don't read back. I read back every day when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll send it out because if I didn't press send in that moment, it would cripple me. And because it would just be sick making, and so then because I because you just go over what could because I would just go what's the point and throw it away, you know. So I mean, I think you know, huge insecurity and huge arrogance go together. You know, they're often bedfellows, and <laughs> so I'll kind of swagger if you know, I'll, I'll send it off with a swagger, and then I will chronically. <laughs> you know, eat and not sleep, and I go, God, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and then I'll sit down and read it, and I will be very editorial in that moment, so that when hmm. I go into my next meeting, I'll go, okay, I can see what works. I and is that, is that the time frame? And I apologize, I'm going to interrupt no, you a no. lot, because I want do, to do. kind of dig, on, dig in on this stuff, but is that the time frame between, you know, you send it off, and then you don't look at it again until... You have to. I have a couple of days, and then I look okay. at it, and I'm, I'll probably read it two or three times, and then I'll go into my editorial or my oh, meeting, and have, and it, you know, it varies, and it varies who I, depending on who I work with. You know, I come from, you know, having worked a lot in Britain, where the budgets are very small. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not dealing with a big Hollywood studio right. system, and whereas, you know, I did a movie last year for. Scott Rudin and Sony, I, you know, uh, which was Little House on the Prairie, and I adapted that. And of course, that had a very different quality to it because, you know, it's you're dealing with a different budget, and mm-hmm. you're, and so I do deliver in a slightly different way with that. I, I make them more bulletproof before I give mm-hmm. them in. Whereas, you know, if I'm working with collaborators, directors, or producers I've worked with before, I know them; they know my methodology, sure. and so they will go, "Okay, I know you take time to get there." And right. certainly with television, you know, it takes, you know, I write. Although I have a very clear outline when I do TV shows, I I, I riff. You know, I mean, I've just got a new show, um, River, for BBC mm-hmm. and Netflix, and that comes out next week. And actually, oh, that show is a complete, well, it's a complete riff show, though, because <laughs> the formula that I tried to, you know, place on it didn't work. And suddenly what happens really? with those shows is you start shooting them and you're having right. to write for them. And so that's when the kind of ability to write and rewrite, you, that it's good training, but you really have to, um, you free fall a bit with that. You know. That's very interesting. So, so tell me a little bit about that, uh, if you would. Uh, 
Did you have a staff for this, or did you do it in the sort of the the BBC style where you wrote all? I of wrote the all of them. I mean, I only write six. You know, I I couldn't do. Still, I mean, six to good. eight maybe, but it's hard. I mean, yeah. but you know, I think series is a beast, and I'm hugely admiring of America. I'm a hugely admiring of American TV and film anyway, but American TV particularly because you have these incredible writing rooms, and you seem to have this kind of mechanism and uh, infrastructure that makes that system work and i think we try to do it in the uk and some you know we have got, we're very successful on mm-hmm. on certain shows um but i have never done that and i'd love to try and do that but my work is quite bespoke so i've you know i think you really need to take time to create those writers rooms mm-hmm. and i've had a couple of i did a show called the hour and the first series we uh, no second series we brought on two writers brilliant writers did really good work um but, you know, they write in a different way. They write, mm-hmm. I write really fast, so I'll deliver overnight and then I want to rewrite the next day. And so you really need to give other writers time to, to, to collectively have a methodology and, sure. and to give them write. You know, they don't want to deliver in three days. They want three weeks. And so for me, that's, it's finding out running partners. And so that's definitely something I'd love to do because it means that I'm slightly stuck between with six hours or eight hours at best because it kills. I mean, it nearly gives me. It kills me. I remember. I remember walking home one day and thinking, "God, I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack." I felt like my heart was was like beating sort of so shallowly. <laughs> and I realized it was so. You know, you you eat very badly and you stay up all night and you you're up against these incredible deadlines. And so to have a kind of collective of writers who mm-hmm. you could support you in that would be great. Oh, absolutely! And if you can get the right collaborators, yeah, then yeah, it's an even it, it's even a fun job. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, and you know, I, I think I've always had that with directors and producers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've not. You know, I only I wrote on one other soap when I first. Well, so you know, sort of. Yeah. Uh, medical drama and I did a couple of episodes and I liked it but I didn't love it you know I mm-hmm. didn't love writing on other people's shows so I've always written my own stuff and well, I'm curious to hear about that um, so you, there was a staff on this show that you started out yeah on, uh, and you were yeah it, was, it had a definite formula um, what had you been doing just prior to that how did you even get that job um, so I st- I did English and drama degree at university. Mm-hmm. I was really an unexceptional child. You know, I was really, really academically poor. I really did, hated, hated, hated school. You know, I have two teenage kids and I, you know, if they say they're not feeling well, I'm like, then why go? Let's stay home. So I have to really work at kind of going, no, school can be a good thing. And they, you know, they really love their school. So it's their mom going, don't go, don't go. But, you know, I've had to, um, I've had to, you know, so I wasn't very, I wasn't one of those kids who wrote when I was a child, but I was a terrible liar, you know, so I would lie, you know, even if you didn't need to lie, I'd lie because it was easier because it would make a good story and it would be the most, even if the truth is actually way more interesting and way more fantastical, it would be, um, and so I, I guess that was where the storytelling came from. And then I, I'd spent most of my 20s being a waitress, and I worked as a caretaker looking after an empty building, which sounds really romantic, but it basically means you sit in, mm-hmm. you know, 30,000 square foot of office space in the middle of London and occasionally show a group of, you know, Eastern European businessmen around. And, but they were, what was great was they knew I wanted to write, so they let me write, write all day. So it was so me. W- let's, let's step back for a second. When did that shift come? I mean, When I was 29. I mean, okay. I, I, was, I, I got my first paid... Um, commission when I was 29. But how did you, when did, when did even wanting to be a writer enter the picture? Well, my parents were in the theatre. My dad ran okay. a theatre and my, then he went on to be a TV director and my mom's an actress. Oh, so you knew it was so a I, thing I was totally, you know, yeah, I mean, if your dad's an electrician, you kind of know how to change a plug. Sure. And so it was definitely in my background. I was definitely exposed to a lot of theatre and um, I saw a lot of plays and less of film. I watched a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I was sort of in a household where 
you know, I kind of loved my mother for it, but it was like the TV went on on Saturday morning and it didn't go off till Sunday night. Yeah. You know, it wasn't particularly, you know, you've got it, you can't watch it. And so um, I took in a lot of television when I was growing up mm-hmm. and, you know, it's still my comfort zone. So um, so it was it was definitely the, in the background and... You know, there's. The, I think you know. You say these things glibly in the press, and I think it's. You know, everyone says. So you wanted to be an actress? I heard, and it was actually more. I did an English and drama degree. I did one play. I asked my mum to say, "What do you think? Do you think I could act?" And she just <laughs> went, "Absolutely not." And and it's kind of true because I'm very awkward and self conscious. I'm just not an actress. And I remember saying to someone, my teacher saying, "You know, the thing is, you're quite short." And I remember saying, "Well, you know, Judy Dench is really short," and him saying, "Yeah, but that voice. She's got that voice." And I remember going home, going. That voice, my musk. Maybe if I learned my voice. So I definitely had sort of delusions of grandeur for about a week of thinking. Oh, that's terrific. But the bottom line about acting for me is that you have to, I think, to survive it mentally, you have to be quite entrepreneurial. And so I think that's what's so exciting about so many actors, certainly in the U- US. You know, they're producing their own work, mm-hmm. they're developing their own projects. Um, because I think you spend so, you know, we know that, I mean, in the UK, I think it's 83% of the profession are out of work at any one time. So, so writing was. Um, I suddenly realized, oh, I can make money out of this. I wrote, it's not exactly a safer choice. Well, you know what? It f- it's a really strange thing because I think when I first sat down, I actually was, so I was at university and I was set, I had to write a monologue. Mm-hmm. And um, and I basically lifted Alan Bennett, who's a, mm-hmm. you know, I basically watched loads of Alan Bennett talking heads <laughs> and I copied him really. Sure. But the first time, it was the first time I just realized that I had not, you know, eaten a pack of biscuits or you know looked up from my laptop or my mm. whatever I was working on my Amstrad probably then um for an hour because I I don't you know my attention is all over the shop I'm very mm-hmm. distracted as a person so and it was incredibly absorbing and so and I think that's why I it was a revelation to me because mm. it it was like where I found form to my chaos. I've talked about it. It's where I find form to my chaos. And I, I love the ordering of it. You know, mm-hmm. I hate doing crossword puzzles or Sudoku or any of that. You know, if my husband says, do you want to do Sudoku? I'm like, my whole life is Sudoku. That's what I've done all day. <laughs> but, you know, I, but I realize my work is a kind of way of mm-hmm. ordering the world. And so it, it was genuinely this piece I got with it and this sort of absorption. And then when I, you know, and I performed it and actually I, I was really bad. But... <laughs> Uh, you know, I think everybody, every writer has had that moment where when you stop looking at people looking at their watches and yawning, you may have five minutes where they listen and they listened mm-hmm. and it was a great feeling. And so that kind of carried me through my 20s was I watched, you know, my friends become lawyers and barristers and doctors and get flats. And and so basically the way I got in was just a combination of things. You know, I entered competitions, which made me write a play, mm-hmm. which took me forever. Right. But it makes it forces you to do it. It forced me to do it, yeah. and I it got a reading, and then I had a play to show people, and that play, although it was turned down by a literary manager, it was someone I knew. She'd read it. She suggest she she talked to Sam Mendes, who was a director mm-hmm. at the Donmar Warehouse at the time, and there was some kind of TV writing course, which was two weekends, mm-hmm. and the first weekend you went and was set a sort of task to write a script and the second weekend was three months later and you delivered that script and it was read and talked about with a kind of i think about 12 writers from very different backgrounds cookery writers novelists journalists and i wrote my first screenplay from that which was about a impotent hitman who works in a in a fish factory and is hired by a woman um to kill her husband and so it was a sort of platonic love story and um and now i remember that i'm thinking god that make a really good movie i must find that script um (laughs) And I loved it again, and it was a revelation to me. 
um, it was a revelation moving from theatre mm-hmm. to TV because, again, less words on the page <laughs> seemed oddly easier. And, um, and so that was really it. And I sent that script, got me my first TV commission. Oh, interesting. Which never got made. Sure. <laughs> I think there were like two or three that never got made. As happens. But I gave up, my, I gave up waitressing. I used to waitress in the evening mm-hmm. for a catering company. And um, in the day, I worked as a caretaker. And I was 29, and I got my first commission. It was 500 pounds, which would be like $800 mm-hmm. now. And I left my job on that. <laughs> That's great. So it was great. I mean, and, and I, I don't know why, because I look back now and think, God, that wasn't that much money. No. And it was like the early, maybe the mid-90s. But it feels huge. It just, I remember so clearly, I was walking down Wood Lane, which was where the BBC building was, and I rang my sister, and I went, I got my first commission. It was, <laughs> I think it was a piece about governesses or something in Victorian period. It was like an idea someone had come up with. Um, but it didn't matter. It was just that affirmation. I mm-hmm. think every writer is looking for that moment where you have a champion that goes, yeah, I'll pay you for this. Mm-hmm. And I think being paid for is a massive thing for writers, you know? Absolutely. And there also, there comes, we've talked about this on the program before, there comes that tipping point mm. when you can kind of leave behind what mm. you were doing before mm. and commit full-time mm. to writing. And, mm. you know, at, at 800 pounds, it may have been too early. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, you know, did you, did you feel that shift eventually where things felt a little more sure yeah, I mean, I think it's, if I'm honest, I think it's taken me to my 40s to go... It, it takes a long time. It, 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 to go, I mean, even now, you know, I got a bad review and I'll be crying to my husband going, I think I'm never going to work again. No one's going to give me a job. Have you read what they said? It's just, of course, everyone, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we all have imposter syndrome and we're waiting mm-hmm. for somebody to find us out and go, you really shouldn't be here. You know? but, but you can think that, but you also have, I imagine, two or three scripts lined up that will take you through the next few years. Really interesting. I've, I, I mean, I'm normally for the last ten years run because of that kind of desperate thing, feeling of everyone, no one's going to employ me again. So mm-hmm. when people would offer me jobs, and I'd go yes, and I suddenly looked at my slate of work, and I had 14 projects. Oh, and so, and I, I was fortunate because actually they were getting made a lot of those. So mm-hmm. I just over the last year, I've just let them get made, and I haven't taken on anything mm-hmm. new. And so I've got one movie now. That's all I'm working on. <laughs> and that's a, that's kind of for me weird because I've you know I've realised I may be very monogamous in my personal life but in my professional life I've completely had endless affairs going I love you much more than the other one oh I hate you you know so when a script would get really difficult I'd run to another set of producers how do you how do you multitask how do you get that stuff done um well you know I I've got a really uh, how do I get it I mean I talk fast I write fast I write junk Mm-hmm. I write junk. You know, I'm not I'm not the kind of Nabokov or Proust. I'm sure he sat there for hours just formulating a sentence. I'm a splurger, so I'll splurge, and then somewhere in the middle of it, I'll then rewrite and rewrite until I, I come up with that one grey line, you know, so, mm-hmm. or, or not, you know. And um, I work, you know, when I first, before I had children, I used to, do you see, I've been here for like, I've been in America for three months, and I'm saying this like, before I had children, my <laughs> accent is slightly getting like this. Um I'm desperately um, totally trying to fit gone in. Hollywood I've gone. I know. Um, <laughs> we'll see you at the Scientology Center later. <laughs> I'm really. I know. I really want to get into those buildings. They fascinate me. Is it that? Anyway, we'll talk about that later. But um, I guess yeah. When I before I had children, I used to get. A, I'm really good early morning person. Mm-hmm. So I would. I would work. Five, I would get up around five and just work in my pajamas till, you know, midday one, mm-hmm. and then I would 
you know, have lunch, have a shower, and then I'd watch movies all afternoon and go and have dinner. And it was a really great life for years. It was years. a really great life. It was great, it was great. <laughs> and then I had children, and actually what, what I discovered about children, which was brilliant, was that they liked being awake in the night. And so, you know, when you're feeding a baby, or mm. it was great thinking time for me. So I would often have an hour, I would think, I would plot through my work, and then... But I couldn't do the five o'clocks because then you're exhausted. Right. So, but I, after that I, thinking, you can sit down and yeah, you're ready to execute. Yeah, and so I went back to write. You know, certainly when my first, I've got two children. When my boy was born, I was back writing six weeks in, because of course, as a writer, you can be yeah. in the same house as your baby. And I have a really, really incredibly supportive, fantastic um, husband partner, and he's just like totally loves the fact that he loves what I do so I, I you know it's quite 1950s you know I, I get up at eight I, I I finish at eight I have you know I'm I'm a perfectly average mother you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there and I'm interested <laughs> and I love my kids but I you know my writing is also a huge passion so and um and so I do long days and then if if the kids go to bed I'll do if I need to I'll do two three more hours at night because mm-hmm. also because I do a lot of American stuff that's when you know it's I often start right. those conversations about 10 but I'm also incredibly lazy you know when you have it movies it does not sound like it no but like when you have movies I am really lazy I mean I write fast so I can I can often spend all day you know internet surfing and watching the I mean mm-hmm. the hotels are awful for me I literally eat room service and watch Kardashians and then at about 8 o'clock in the evening I'll go Okay, come on! It's you've got a right. deadline, and so then I'll sit down for three hours and I'll work very intently. Are these uh, are these real deadlines or are these deadlines you've given yourself? No, I never get. De- they're always real. You wouldn't keep to your own. <laughs> I would never give my own deadline. I mean, I never. I mean, there's a, we're, I'm always working up to the wire. So. And is it easy for you to shift among projects? Yeah, I have to. I can't do the same project within one day, but I can do it within the next day. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, uh, yes and no. I mean, River, which the series I was just talking about, Mm -hmm. which I've just um, produced for BBC and Netflix, is a was a really it was a cop show, Mm -hmm. and it stars Stellan Skarsgård, who's amazing, amazing, amazing actor to work with, and so was an incredible muse for me. Um, But cop shows are really, really hard, and it's also about a a cop who's going mad, Hmm. and writing a show and he's in every single scene and so writing a show about a man going mad who's in every single scene sort of sends you a bit mad and I I literally couldn't do anything else when I was writing that because it was so hard Hmm. and you know series are such a beast anyway just plotting you know plotting is so is so tough I find and you know it's all about who you put around you to help you look good and so I was constantly having to tell people going, I literally can't do the maths of this. You know, didn't he die in episode two? Can we, didn't, can I do that? You know, so I was constantly having to hold on to an ensemble of characters. Oh and, and, uh, and I realized there are certain things that expose my limit, limits and that, and a cop show was one of them because it, you know, it's really difficult to plot a murder. It's so oh, difficult. Absolutely. Otherwise we'd all be doing it. <laughs> and, um, and I realized that, and also those shows have been done to death. Right. So how many times can you pull a body out of a drawer or do an interview of, scene or yeah you know or how do you make it your own how do you make it your own you yeah. know and so what what did you discover how did you make it your own i went back to what i love which is character and mm-hmm. and i just thought if i love these characters and care about these characters and you know it's you know i've said this but it's true you know river is um is a cop show is a relationship drama ma- mm-hmm. you know masquerading as a cop show mm-hmm. and that's so it's really about and it's about what does it mean to live in a city where everywhere is from somewhere else you know it's mm-hmm. a, I love London and I love the fact it's so diverse that's and really multicultural and it's and it's filled with every you know very there are yeah. very few true Londoners now wow, it's like know, Los Angeles like Los way. Angeles you know I kind of go yeah I, I, I you know but I I didn't come to London until I was in my twenties and most mm-hmm. people come to the city come to it's like any city you come to the city when you in your twenties yeah. most of the time or 
and so it's and I, and and I just it's an it's a sort of homage to London as well and mm. sort of kind of and I guess we put a Scandi in there you know and uh, so it's a bit of kind of what did someone say to me now Brit Noir someone said it's a bit of Brit Noir okay, I like that uh, Brit, you know so it's, there's a bit of a nod to that as well that's fun um, how did how did you even make a cop show like how did did you pitch this how did this happen yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate. I worked with I worked for a lot. I, did, I worked with um, Jane Featherstone, who's a fantastic producer for Kudos, and so she's produced shows like Humans, Broadchurch, um, Spooks. You know, these are all kind of shows Great that shows, I think, yeah. yeah, that have come over. And I did the hour with her, and mm-hmm. so when I think towards the end of the hour, I kept saying, I've got this idea for this this cop who sees manifests hmm. and so it's this idea that his madness manifests into physical people and so we've got Eddie Marzan playing um, a 19th century serial killer because I wanted to have a serial killer but I thought you know I, I don't want to be you know everyone's done brilliant 21st century serial mm-hmm. killers so his kind of nemesis for dis- despair and ultimate death and the threat of his own death is is this character this true character called thomas cream and it's based on the idea he was reading a book when this tragic thing happens to him our central character so so um i was kind of talking to jane about that and you know again i think it's that thing where you've worked with people for a long time you then can go very directly to the people in power and so i went to the bbc and said what do you think and um the commissioners there were really you know ben stevenson's who now works for jj abram's company commissioned it and was incredibly important at the time was head of um, BBC drama and so uh, I kind of stopped writing the way you I'm sure I don't know if it's different over here but I did my pilot but you do your first episode and mm-hmm. write it and then they green light it after that so mm-hmm. they green light it after the first episode and um, and that's where you know I think that's that's where I'm hugely impressed by American drama because it seems like you really work on that formula of, you know, you you work on it for this period of time and then you start shooting. And that for me was the hardest thing was having the pressure of shooting hanging over you. Yeah. You know when so you. So how much lead time did you get? Well, it really varied. I mean, it, it, it's diminishing returns because at the beginning you're like, hey, well I've right. got you know I've got months and I've got you know <laughs> another five episodes to go. It's going to be easy. And then of course something goes wrong with episode three and you then have to throw it all away and that puts you back. And so when you get to the last two, it's really by the seat of your pants. You know. Absolutely. So. I'm not even going to tell you how close it was, but certainly people were being handed pages as they walked in. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. Were yeah. you rewriting on set? Yeah. Uh, and do you generally do that? Do you do that on films? Do you have the opportunity? Yeah, I, when I mean, given the opportunity? You know, I, I suffer, you know, what I loved about working on Suffragette and what I love about working with Sarah, having done Brit Lane, which mm-hmm. is an adaptation of a Monica Alley novel, is that, you know, we have a great methodology. And I've, you know, I found this with Steve McQueen. I found this, um, you know, with with most of the film directors I've worked with and certainly in television it's an intrinsic part of it but Mm. with Suffragette what I love was we had a proper rehearsal period and actually I don't think I'd work on a movie now unless there was that rehearsal period it makes a huge difference it's huge and I'm like you know know, I've I've had movies where I've kind of said is there a rehearsal period and they've gone yeah yeah and then they have there's been one and you know for a combination of very valid reasons sometimes actors are intimidated to have the writer Mm. there sometimes you know the director's trying to form the bond with the Mm -hmm. actors and so you're a kind of spare part but for me, coming from theatre, which is it's all about being in rehearsal and yeah. making as bespoke as possible, um, we really had that with Suffragette. And I think it's probably a mark of the collaboration and the mark of, um, you know, we know each other so well, We're not there's not a kind of status thing going on. And so yeah. I was able to really sit with every single actor and be there every day and go, you're right, let's cut that, that's not working. Yeah, so I was going to ask that. What, what did you discover about the script through that process of hearing it 
read and well, working with the actors. I mean, a lot of it was brought. stripping back. I mean, you know, there are there are there are there's one really big scene that we shot that didn't work, but it was mm-hmm. a really important scene to me. And you know, there is a sort of journey that goes on with film where you can't control what you're going to keep. And actually, you know, the editor is the sort of other writer in it. And so there were things that that. I realised, you know, you have to let go and allow that process to happen. I think every writer goes through that. And um, I guess what I realised is that it's a very, very ordinary story at heart. You know, it's about it's a story of a very ordinary woman who becomes part of an exceptional moment in history. And so I think I discovered um, that... Also, I mean, I've always known this, that actors are an amazing keeper of characters because, you know, you're working on seven or eight actors and they're just working on theirs. So for me, working with Carrie, and I'd worked with her on Shame, but I think I worked with her to a much greater extent on this, is that I also really listen to them because they're often right. And it's not about saying, no, you just say the lines. It's about going, okay, that's really interesting. So, for example, in the movie, there is a very big um, quote that we ended up using as a sort of, it's the real kind of climax to the film. And it was a quote in um, a book um, written by Olive Schreiner, who was, it became very important to the suffragettes, called Dreams of the Desert. And um, and it's about, it's a sort of fable about an imagined future. Mm-hmm. Um, and she loved this book and she found this quote and she would, she started to talk to, the, to Sarah and I about it and we thought, well, it's really interesting. So we bedded in a new scene while we were shooting of this book being given to her and then the book becoming significant to her. And, this, mm. and, that, and that really came out of her and evolving that character and to a certain degree the same with Helena. You know, she, um, she, she did, you know, they all did a lot of their own research. So I love that evolution. I love it when it works and I love it where, it, but I love it when you can be there. There's nothing worse than if you're not there and you suddenly go, Where's that speech come right. from? What's that actor saying? And of course, that does happen sometimes. Right, you must have had those experiences. Oh God, yeah. You know, I've had the. the you know, I've been dumped off movies. I've. You know, I think most of the time when you see films, <laughs> and if there's one writer, you know, I mean, I, there really is one writer on Suffragette, and I think the smaller budgets you can do that, yeah. but the bigger the budget gets, the more likely you've been pulled off. And Absolutely. I've been, I've definitely been pulled off, or I've been bought to rewrite other people's stuff. Yeah. And how do you how do you contend with both sides of that? I mean, I know it is part of the business, but it can't be, it's especially early on, it couldn't yeah, I mean, I think easy. you have heartbreak. You know, yeah. I mean, I worked on a film for a long time and the director was dropped and so then they brought on a writer-director sure. and so they didn't need, they didn't, he wanted to start again, so I was dumped off it and then he was dumped off it and then I was brought back on. Mm-hmm. So that's happened. You know, I've worked on big movies where, you know, where I'm looking at speech going, that's not my speech. They, another writer was brought in a month before because I got taken off. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, you learn how to set your face, you know, and um, it's I, it's in, it's acutely painful. Sometimes it's essential because you know I think one of the things that I am learning is that my method of working, which is endless rewrites, can also exhaust me. Which means that you get tired out, which is you need another writer in at certain points sure. because you've tired yourself out. So that's something I'm thinking a lot about in, in terms of reducing my workload as well, which is actually not giving in so quickly and you know pacing myself better because mm-hmm. the other thing I've ended up doing is lots and lots and lots of writing for no money sure. you know so you know you may get the, the, you know the basic infrastructure of writing for movies and you know this you're paid per draft and maybe on a on a contract you might have two drafts and a polish whereas with TV you get uh, 50% on commission 25% on delivery and then that last 25% you get whenever they green light so you can end up writing and writing and writing a lot then Absolutely. but I find with TV it because the budgets are uh, smaller probably because I, i've done more television i get to green light quicker mm-hmm. whereas with film you can be rewriting and rewriting beyond because people have run out of money right um 
And so it's being a bit more robust about that and mm. saying, okay. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, I'm sure there'll be every writer who's just, it'd love to be your greatest script that never gets made. You know, mm. my favourite script is still on my shelf. Is and it? Yeah, and I still bring it out occasionally and say, so what do you think about doing this? And you can just see people's eyes glows over and for what, some reason... Do you want to pitch it? Maybe someone will listen. Yeah, I know. I think, you know, it's out there. I mean, when did it, you write it? Oh, God, I wrote it. I wrote it about eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. And, um... But it's, all, it's about death and the afterlife. And so um, I don't know why that movie now got made, actually. I generally, actually, you know what? I think it's ensemble. It's quite Magnolia-esque. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes those films can be difficult because there's no one actor you can pin it on or finance Spons, it on. Yeah. But I don't... Maybe it's not that good. I mean, you know, the other thing is you rewrite and rewrite sometimes that it was beautiful on draft, you know, nine, right. and then it's absolute crap at draft 15, and you lose your way or you lose your impetus to go back. Well, that... I, I, that's what I was curious about with your process. Mm. How do you give yourself a distance? I mean, I know you send it off and take mm. a couple of days, but that's only a couple of days. It's still it's still there. It's still in you. Well, I'm not at that point where it's getting made at that moment, you know. And there right. are lots of balance and checks, you know. So, it's like working on a movie like Suffragette, and we know, you know, I saw a poster on the way here which says one hour of television made in the in the California. It means two hundred million dollars for the state-funded thing, and three hundred and forty-seven people are employed. And I was sitting there going, you know, that's the thing is that there are so many people on a film or on a mm-hmm. TV show that you've got a production designer going, you know, that whole sequence you set in a laundry, the laundry was nothing like that. It wouldn't hmm. have even or and so then that you're constantly reviewing, and that gives you gaps in air. And sure, I mean, it drives you mad and. It's very painful, and, you know, I've had days where I've seen the first cut of a film and I've cried all night because I know that it's dead. That script, hmm. that film is never going to work. And I've had great moments of joy where I've thought, nothing, it will never get better than working with this director. And um, and I guess, you know, it, you know, people always say to me, oh, you're really prolific, but I have two kids who are at private school, and I have a mortgage to pay. You know, sure. and, 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 you're and under I, the and gun. I, and I haven't done a big block. You know, I haven't done a Downton Abbey. You know, I, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I'd love to write a Downton Abbey. I wish I was that clever to do a big, you know, I haven't, I'm not Shonda Rhimes, you know. Right. So, you know, I, you know, my shows, I think, are often, you know, intensely loved or intensely hated or just, you know, I don't do the big commercial shows. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily do the big commercial films. And mm-hmm. so um, I have to keep working, you know. But I think uh, you know. I think people know you or there or know the hour here. Mm. I think that was it was on yeah. PBS here yeah, and, yeah. and kind of broke through. Um, <laughs> maybe because it, of the actors. Yeah, I mean the hour was interesting. You know the hour is still. I mean, I loved working on that show and I loved the actors on that show and I loved and the setup was so amazing because about five minutes from my house is this beautiful old nineteen thirties town hall and the entire structure and production house and hmm. filming of that 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 show is shot there and you know you it know, has that feel that's and it's, really it's interesting so, that's it's not literally, surprising we were all in that building you know I could walk down the corridor I was my office was right in the centre hmm. right next door to one of the sets so I could hear when dialogue was working I could pass actors going what have you written this is awful or I could you know have an actor and think she's really good and she's only got two lines I can build that character hmm. you know I remember seeing Una Chaplin in the hour and I'd sort of brought her in as the kind of you know um Dominic West's, you know, Hector's wife, and she was so good. Mm. I thought, God, I can do more and more with you. So um, it was really exciting. And um, <clears throat> but I, the hour is still that show, and I don't know whether I've got delusions of grandeur, but I cannot tell you. Every day I get someone saying, 
Is there going to be another series of the hour? And mm. the thing that really surprises I get it mostly in the States. Yeah, I think it really <laughs> broke through here. I think it came at the right time. Yeah, mm. and also I think, you know, the, the Emmy thing was really love funny because I was, um, you know, I had... I went with my husband. I had a terrible cheap dress on, 40-quid dress, and I was sitting there going, oh, Jay, what am I doing? Everybody looks amazing. And I didn't have my entourage. You know, I was sitting next to everybody who had their whole cast there, and everybody got nominated, and it was just me. And I remember turning to Jay and saying, you know what, I think, why don't we wait till my, nom- my categories come, and then let's go and get dinner, let's get out of here. And as I was doing this, they were like... And we're getting, you know, they went to my nomination oh. because I don't know how it had happened, but I'd got so nervous I hadn't been looking down my brochure properly, or whatever. Where right. suddenly we were there. Suddenly I was, I got up there, and I was so all over the place because not only was I shocked, but I literally saw Michael Douglas in the front seat clapping, and you could see him <laughs> like, almost turning to Matt Damon and whisper something. He was like, "Who the fuck is she?" And I get that response in the states. I think States. he was Everyone, saying, "I got to check this out." This but sounds I, great. Yeah, and I think it was a really odd, you know, I don't, it was a really, it was amazing winning that, but I was completely headless, and I had no idea what was going to happen, and I just talked crap, and made a crap joke, and um, stumbled think- off the stage, and I still, but it was very interesting, because I don't think, you know, often when people say, hey, I've seen your show, I, my, I go, great, great, because I'm like, you're going to say something awful to me, and I want to get away. I'm always frightened that someone's going to say, yeah, I hated it, because people do, you know, you know, people, do, like, the most surprising oh, people will God. say, I, I watched your show. It could be, I don't know, some, you know, some guy you knew from years ago you bumped into, and I, you go, great, I said, what do you think? He went, that doesn't work for me. You know, people can be really direct with you. Why are you asking them what do you think? That's on you. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Maybe it's just that awkward moment where we look at each other right. and go, great. great so you're either going to compliment me or I'm going to run. Yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> do, Brits, do, do Americans do that? Are they quite brutal with each other? Do you think no, writers yes. are quite brutal? You see, oh, I think we're a bit yes. wussy in the Brit and we're probably a bit two-faced. We go, I loved it. I hated it. It was brilliant. I hated it. You know, we do a bit of that. Maybe I'm just used to that kind of being mollycoddled. I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, the hour was great, and I'm really glad if it did. And I really hope people watch River. Um, it sounds really cool. Yeah, uh, well, and I'd it, see it, what you think. I'd really be curious. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Is it the Netflix? Are they releasing it all at once so people yeah, can they can download can the whole six? Binge on it. That's yeah. great. That'll be fun. Mm. Um, did you know that going in that that would be the release method? You know, I think we're in this incredible changing time now where television and um, film is being downloaded in such different ways and so and watched in so many different ways and so I was kind of getting up to speed about Netflix mm-hmm. and the reality I mean obviously it's very different to say Beast of No Nation yeah. um, because that has had a theatrical release and ultimately right. it's a movie um, but I know I mean the thing that seems to work f- I get the impression with Netflix is of course they're in for the long haul so mm-hmm. it will be up there and they expect to keep it you know it's yeah. a five year plan on that it's not like the kind of release of a movie which of course they're aware of DVD sales but it's really about the release right. the, so um, it's a long game yeah, for someone like that but Netflix. it's interesting what you said I guess what you I guess what maybe what you're saying with that question is you know do you write slightly differently when you know you've got six hours being downloaded and it's I've that never will s- be watched. Yeah, and I, I like it's something that. that I'm thinking more and more about. Mm-hmm. And it's largely because it's a bit like if you if you've if you cooked an amazing meal, you can't kind of taste it at the end and you don't hmm. wanna you almost don't wanna eat it, so it takes me time to watch the shows. Or yeah. you've watched it so much in the edit. So I've never looked at it in the arc of six. I've been thinking about it, but yeah. I haven't actually sat down and never watched that arc of six, but I think it's something that I feel like I need to engage much more in because you know, just simple things like um hooks. 
you know, I think for a long time we were so into the self-contained narrative in the mm-hmm. UK because we, it was a week till we bought people and we had to bring people yeah. back. And we have to have hooks, but they don't necessarily have to have the longevity of sustaining for a week. So you don't necessarily... Need, and also you don't necessarily need to say to an audience, you could just sit down and watch this and it doesn't matter about the other episodes because the episodes are there for them to download right. so they can do it all in once anyway. So, again, that releases you from having to do the kind of self-contained story that could be for anybody, the journeyman who's just passing through right. for that week. So it definitely is changing the way we write. Um, I mean, I wonder how it would affect you specifically, because you seem to draw a very clear uh, line between TV and film and those modes of storytelling. I think it's changing. You know, I, yeah. I definitely find now that, um, you know, so many of the directors I've worked with, you know, the brilliant Steve McQueen, he's developing a couple of TV shows at the moment, and I keep saying to Sarah Gavron, you know, you've got to come and do some TV with mm-hmm. me. And, and I think it's very inspiring when you look at shows like, you know, everything from the Nick... Um, you know, through to True Detective, Kerry Fukunaga. Funkanaga? Not Fukunaga. <laughs> you cannot stop swearing. I just can't. It's I'm a Brit. I'm a Brit with, with Tourette's. Um, I think, you know, when you look at those great, you know, film directors doing mm-hmm. TV, then that's... That's that, interesting. That's, and, great, and obviously great film actors doing television. <clears throat> then it's a really interesting time. So maybe it's less about me needing to draw that distinction because I think everything is changing. And, mm. and I, you know, I think TV is... One of the things I think a lot of people realize is that you can earn a lot of money from television, you know. And certainly, as a writer, as a, on a creative level, as I said before, you know, it's you can really creatively keep control. And it is yeah. difficult going to film. I mean, and it does make you go, okay, well, maybe I'll just do the Hollywood system where I'll deliver that draft and I'll wish it well because mm-hmm. it's so out of my sphere to be able to be involved as a sort of producer. Then that's okay. But I think what's harder is when you do those movies where it's sort of weird for you not to creatively be involved. It's weird for you not to have those conversations about casting because sometimes they're casting people you've worked with before or people you know. Um, But I think it will all change. I think we are in this really different um, state now and I think it is exciting because... I mean, one of the things that's interesting is we know the box office hasn't been good in the last few weeks for certain movies, and I wonder if that also signals a change in some way Mm. about the way we're watching and the way perhaps we're oversaturated. Because I worry a bit... Well, there, we keep saying there are so many outlets. There are so many hours. There are only so many hours we can Absolutely. watch stuff. And there's only so much stuff we can consume. So it may be that we're in a bit of a gold rush period where everyone's like going, wow, we, you know, let's make 10 Game of Thrones. And, right. and actually there are only so much mm-hmm. that you can watch. So, well, um, I, I, and, and truly, you know, truly digest and probably um, nurture and journey right. with. You know, I'm, sh- I'm sure there'll be shows that will do very well and get downloaded, but they won't necessarily have the impact because there'll be five of those. So, you know, newspapers won't want to run stories on five of those because they'll just become the norm. Right. Uh, and also, maybe this is optimistic of me, but I like to think that, you know, maybe people aren't going to see movies because they're not so good. <laughs> and that they'll come out for the good ones. Yeah, maybe. You know? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know because... You know, I like to think Suffragette was okay. Um, you know, and there were a lot. Of, you Is know, it released? Steve, I apologize. Yeah, no, I don't even know. You know, Suffragette has been released. Suffra- you know, Steve Jobs is out there, and mm-hmm. you know, and you know, Michael Fassbender's um, performance in that is absolutely stunning. And, really? Um, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, but it, you know, it's it's not. I don't know. I mean, it's. Com- I I I wouldn't dare to say I understood it, but I'm sure there's somebody who's doing his algorithm somewhere exactly. who's got the answer. That's all fascinating. That world. Um, <laughs> uh, you brought up. Um, this idea of, you know, doing this sort of Hollywood system where you write the script and hand it off and don't get invested. And, you know, we talked a little bit about moving on and off of projects. Is that possible? Can you write a good script without 
investing yourself fully in it without having a, a need to tell it? It's a really good question. Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking about that a lot at the moment. I'm thinking about... I mean, it's a little bit like... Um, you know, you've been walking down the road and someone and someone says, you know, you walk lopsided and you go, I know, it's just really uncomfortable. And they say, well, if you just put a little bit less pressure, it would realign your whole spine. And you suddenly go, God, that's so much easier. And I wonder about that with my work is that I take it too intensely and I take it too seriously and I overwrite. And actually what would happen if I go, okay, guys, you get three drafts. It would put more onus on me on making those three drafts mm-hmm. good. Uh, so and I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by doing those jobs now where I feel like I've absolutely done what I needed to do and I've fulfilled and been, you know, truthful to work and being, you know, I justified that paycheck. And um, But it hasn't ripped my soul out because there are right. certain, you know, that there can be a form of writing where it does that. And also to give yourself the freedom to say not every film has to be intense. You know, what? You know, who's mm-hmm. to say? You know, someone said to me recently, what would your superpower be? And I'd say to be able to write comedy. And, you know, <laughs> and I think about that a lot and think, you know, I wouldn't... Comedy is so terrifying to me because I'm so admired. I love Amy Poehler. I love Amy Schumer. I love, T- you know, Tina Fey. I like, you know, and I think those women have done so much for you know us as, us as writers because mm-hmm. you know they're really putting female screenwriting on on the map um but i can't do that comedy and it's a bit like unbearable lightness of being you know i'd love to work a little bit more on the unbearable lightness of being i'd love to be a little lighter in the world and go why take it so seriously you know what if you tried your hand at mm-hmm. you know doing something which was really about a buddy movie between two women mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to also be about two women who are fighting you know you know globalization right. or you know and so, and so it, it also makes me question about you know not only just thematically taking on different things but you know Ultimately, I maybe I just have to be honest. You know, I'm not a cool kid. I've always been a nerd. You know, I am. I mean, this is called nerdist, isn't it? And I would say, <laughs> I would say, I wasn't a nerd. I was just wasn't even cool. I wasn't even as cool as a nerd. I was just like bland. You know, but I, I mean, it, I, I mean that in terms of, um, you know, what I what I make is what I make. Someone, mm-hmm. you know, someone said to me once, "You meet the director, you meet the film," and it is it's proved really true for me. Hmm. If I look back at the movies I've worked on and I look back at the directors, and I won't do this now, but I can almost analyse the movies I've done in relationship to the directors I've worked with and thought, God, I can see so much of projection of themselves. And I think it's kind of true of the writing as well. You know? Absolutely. And so, um, you know, you want a really earnest kind of global piece that, you know, does bad gags. And I, I, I don't think I could try and do an Amy Schumer, but, 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 but there is uh, something interesting. And that stuff yeah. is hard. That's not saying, oh, it's so easy to cost. My God, right. it's hard. But, you know, I just watched Trainwreck again. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen it the first time and I thought, yeah, I like it, but I'd been a bit dismissive. I watched it again and I thought, that's a really beautifully written script. Hmm. It's a really, really beautifully written script. And it's really f- out there. And it is really funny. And... Um, and it's really actually interesting territory. It's, it's really interesting territory. You know, we've watched lots of films where um, men have inherited the, the weird qualities of their father, but we haven't watched that many w- where women have inherited hmm. the weird qualities and also inherited the kind of weird sexual qualities of their father and the kind of callousness of their father. And I thought that's that's great because that also felt very familiar. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and yet I'd never seen it on screen. So, yeah, um, so I, yeah I really love that movie. <laughs> Good recommendation. You know, we always end the podcast by asking what you are watching these days, what you're getting excited about on television, film, anything. I've just watched a really great movie actually called uh, Victoria with by Sebastian Schipper, German um, Berlin-based director, I think, and I really loved it. And the reason why I loved it is it's it's a film that is completely in one take, oh, and wow. so it, it's quite long. It's like two hours, but it's about it's a it's about one night 
with this Berlin guy who meets a Spanish girl for the night, and it's so beautifully done, and it's really it's it's a, it's quietly terrifying as it builds, oh, and that was really really impressive. And I keep wanting to watch Narcos because everyone's told me it's great. It's just a new TV show. Yeah, that's a um, Netflix show, right? I think it is. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. People like it. Yeah. I, I love Transparent. I, Have you, I love Transparent. Mm-hmm. I just watched the trailer for the new series and I just thought, God, I wish I'd written that show. That would be the show I'd love You know, to if you were to write a, a light body comedy, yeah. it would be just as intense. Well, that's the problem. It would be, you know. I mean, and also my, but that's the pro- like, my that's idea is funny is not funny. That's Although the process. River's kind of interesting because River does is a bit funny. I mean, it's I, sort of funny, sad. I would it's yeah. funny, sad, but that's it's, the best kind of funny. <laughs> it's funny, sad, but it's not. You know, I mean, I, you know, and I, I'm, I, I live with a really beautiful, funny man who's always saying, "Move towards the light, watch Louis C.K." And so I move that's towards not the light. The light. <laughs> no, but like you know, well, that's my light. That's his light. He's, he knows me well, uh, you know. And I, I watch Louis now, and I think, oh, that's great. And I. You know, I like Mike and Molly. <laughs> I like anything, actually. But, um, yeah, and, and so I, I, I love, you know, what am, I, what am I saying now? Are we talking about comedy? I can't Let me remember. ask you something. Uh, is your husband in the, in the creative arts business? Yeah, he's an actor. He is. Um, so you've, you're basically both narcissists, right? Are we narcissists? No, the problem is, is he's not, and he should be if, if he wants to be really, really good at it. He can't because he can't not, fully succeed. Well, it, well, no, because there's only one room for one narcissist in there. Who would feed the children? You know, I mean, you can't have both of us looking at each other going, but what about me? No, I'm absolutely 100% the narcissist. I'm the one who needs constant support. I'm basically the third child. He has three children and a dog, and I'm the third one. Um, no, he's not. An, I mean, that's the thing. He's just not a narcissist. And, you, and, I, and to be an actor, you need to be a narcissist. He's way, he's way more interested in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so, also that also can make for a great actor. Yeah, I mean, God, I love actors. God, I'm going to have so many actors saying, "Why does she?" Ha-? I love actors as well. Yeah, no, I mean, in fact, actually, the greatest actors are the ones that aren't narcissists, and there are some. Uh, yeah, they're they're looking outward, right? Well, they have to and because that's in. yeah, because I mean, to enrich the themselves. Same as we yeah, do. out to put it in to give that inner life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, Suffrage is out right now. Yep. People should go. Please see go it. and see it. Wonderful yeah. movie. Wonderful performances. Sure. Carrie Mulligan. We'll see you amazing. back here for the Oscars. Um, right. I think you'll be. Well, let's you know. Let's keep hoping, eh? But I, I'd love to see Carrie get there because she's truly wonderful in it. You'll both get there. And she's a great girl. <laughs> and she's just had a baby, which is pretty impressive. To be it's nice there. to hear she's a great girl. She's a great. She really is a great she's girl. She's so great woman. I will get she's horrible tweets for calling her. She's a great broad. She's a great <laughs> there bird. You go. Uh, no, she's she's girl. They're all great. That's, that's, I mean, you can tell in this movie that everybody just bled onto the screen. You know, like it, it's well, all out there. Everybody yeah. cared. Yeah, they did really care. And you know what? When I've worked on the most serious movies is when you have the most fun. Off-st- and mm-hmm. it really was true. It's been one of the most fun films to work on. That's great. Even though it looks like the most painful. Whereas actually the, the kind of light ones are the ones you where you absolutely hate each other and you never <laughs> want to speak to each other again. So, um, And that's where all my work is great because I've never had those, exactly. done those kind of shows. But um, yeah, it's, it was a good experience. Oh, that's really great to hear. All right, so Suffrage Set is out now. Go yeah. see it. And River is out. Uh, it's probably out, when I think, November the 18th. It comes yes. out on Netflix. So please, 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 please. Check it out. It sounds Check really it out. cool. I'll, I'll definitely watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for being here, Abby. Thanks for asking me. It's really nice. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 